Welcome to Spirit of the Hall, our Teddy Hall podcast series brought to you for Orlarians by Orlarians. My name is Ollie Belcher, and I am the president of the St. Edmund Hall Alumni Association. I'm delighted to bring you conversations with some of Teddy Hall's most fascinating alumni, fellows, and staff. Our first episode is our principal, Professor Kathy Willis, who tells us about her journey to Teddy Hall. But I decided that actually wanted to really be more centred back in Oxford. What it is like balancing her head of house job with her research role. Having a research career as well as running college is, I mean, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't do one without the other. And one day how she sees life beyond Teddy Hall. I've always very much been driven by this thought that when I end my career, I want to look back and really see the difference you made in a particular area. I reminded Cathy that she also taught me in 1999 when she and Professor Rob Whitaker were both geography tutors. And today, they are the principal and vice principal of Teddy Hall. Cathy, welcome to Spirit of the Hall. Thank you very much. We're now the 15th of February, just under two weeks on from the St. Edmund Hall Association's first ever virtual AGM. I've had many messages from alumni saying how much they enjoyed your presentation, so thank you. Oh, pleasure. It was much appreciation. There's a general feeling that you really are uh, the best person to be leading the college and navigating it through the COVID pandemic. I just wanted to start by asking you, you were elected to be Teddy Hall's first female principal in 2018. Can you tell me about your journey to become the principal? Well, yes. I mean, originally, I, um, I first of all did a degree in environmental science at the University of Southampton. But I've always been a very much an outdoors person. I mean, that's why I chose that degree. And then I went to um, Cambridge and did a PhD in botany, or as was at that point was botany. It's now plant sciences department. I think botany departments have disappeared from all but one university in the, in the country. Following on from that, I, had, I was in Cambridge actually for 13 years and ended up being a director of studies in natural sciences at Selwyn College. And I had a, this wonderful fellowship that was 10 years of fellowship funding. I had another six years. But it was one of these, the thing with Oxford and Cambridge, they've got so many uh, university research fellows from the Royal Society. But what you could suddenly realise is you'll meet people who've done their full 10 years and they've become very expensive and there is no job for them at the end. And so I saw this job being advertised in Oxford in geography. And so I jumped at this opportunity, applied, thinking, well, I can. I did an environmental sciences degree originally. I could teach physical geography. And that is how I ended up coming to Oxford. And I came to Oxford in, I think, in 1999 and taught in the geography department for 10 years. And during that time, taught a lot of, a lot of different things in geography, actually. Um, it wasn't I, much to my horror when I arrived. I sort of thought a bit like the Cambridge system where when you're a director of studies you um, just effectively you you do supervisions in your own subject and then you bring in a team of people to teach the other subjects and when I arrived I was slightly horrified to find that especially for the first year tutorials you had to teach everything Mm -hmm. and my colleague in the department who was my mentor was Rob Whitaker. Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> so yes, very much linking back to Teddy Hall. And that's really when I first came to visit Teddy Hall. I came to college, had lunch with him as I was sort of slowly freaking out about the fact I was having to teach all these um, human geography papers. And they're things like ideas papers. I mean, perfectly good things to do, but I always felt like I was only one, one step ahead of the students for some of that stuff. And then after 10 years, when I was in the department, I sort of worked my way up through the ranks as you do. I became a professor and I set up with Rob as actually a, a, a master's in 
biodiversity conservation, which is very much where my, my research interests um, sit, and environmental sustainability. And then a new position was advertised in the zoology department, which was to become the director of the Biodiversity Institute, to set up a Biodiversity Institute across Oxford, and to take up this newly created chair, the Tassel Leventis Chair in Biodiversity. I have to say, I thought, gosh, it's going to be really odd having this Biodiversity Institute set up and having, you know, we'd set up this master's programme in geography in biodiversity conservation. So I applied for this job with very little thought that I would get it, I have to say, um, since I by no stretch of the imagination am I a zoologist. And I was given the position. And so I had to move at this point from sort of geography, plant sciences, through to a zoology department and set this biodiversity institute up which I did do, and I had great fun doing that. Then after three and a half years of doing that, I was asked if I would consider going and becoming the Director of Science at Kew Gardens, and very much to go in there and to bring in a new strategic direction. And it's the first director of science they've had at Kew. They split the director's post between the director who runs the overall gardens and the overall, um, the overall sort of running of that large organisation. Then the director of science to basically oversee the collections and the 350 scientists at Kew. So I went to Kew Gardens and I did that job for five years. But at the same time, I retained a position in Oxford. So I was on to comment for five years. And I could have carried on at Kew for another five years. But I have to say, after five years, I felt that unless I moved myself and my family and my research group to, to London, to Kew, I simply could not carry on having such a split personality because I was driving up and down to Kew every day for the week, which was um, all but Fridays, and it was exhausting. But also with Kew, I mean, the other problem, not a problem, but an issue is that they have, I was responsible for all these scientists and also the four, over 400 projects that were run out of science in um, all over the world. So I was ending up spending an awful lot of time traveling and went to some fantastic places. And I went to Madagascar and I went to Mexico and I went to Colombia, all over the place. But I decided that actually wanted to really be more centred back in Oxford and I was starting to think about coming back when I was asked if I'd consider applying for the the um, principal's position at St Evan Hall and so I thought this was would be a fantastic job to get not only because I'd heard a lot about the college and how friendly it was but also it's small but also large etc etc um, but at the same time, it also meant that I could pick up my research group again in zoology, which is what I've done. Amazing. So that's a very long answer to a short question. <laughs> no worries. It's exactly what, what, what we wanted to hear, you know, how you, exactly that your journey to become the principal. So when, when you first came to Tuddy Hall to meet Rob Whitaker for lunch, who's now your vice principal, did you ever imagine that you would be the principal of Tuddy Hall one day? No, and funnily enough, I never thought I'd be a principal of any college because I always thought it was an incredibly hard job to do. Um, <laughs> so I, it, I certainly wasn't a job I was, I'd ever really considered before. I mean, I've been in a number of colleges, as, as many of the alum will know. I mean, I've before coming to Teddy Hall, I was at Merton. Before that, I was at Jesus College, I was at St Hughes in Cambridge, I was in Corpus, Darwin and Selwyn. So I've sort of certainly, certainly moved around. And I always, I've looked at the head of house and thought, crumbs, that's a, that is a tricky mm. job. It looks very, very nice and quite sort of glamorous to be able to have all these dinners and sit around and talk to people. But underneath, I mean, effectively, you're absolutely having to be right on top of all aspects of the job all the time and bring about consensus because you are chairing the governing body. It is the governing body that determines the direction of the college, not the principal. 
Sure. Now, you won't remember this, but I do, because I actually came um, up to Oxford in 1999 when you joined the geography department. <laughs> and, 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 Kathy, you actually taught me. Oh, my goodness, I had no idea. No idea. Yeah, Let's and you did. down this route. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it when I was told that you were becoming the principal of Teddy Hall. I was so delighted. <laughs> so, well, however many years on from that, when you, when you first arrived in 2019, what would you say were the biggest challenges you faced or, or the college faced? And what have you and the governing body done to resolve those? Well, I mean, well, first of all, I should say that, I mean, I was very lucky to inherit the platform from Keith, who had done some exceptionally good things in his 10 years. But like anywhere, I think the world has moved on. And with all of these colleges, it is a big question about what does good look like in the next 10, 20, 30 years. And colleges generally, the ones I've been in, don't have a strategic direction And I think there are five areas where the college needed to start to think about actually, you know, where does the college want to be um, in terms of its estates, in terms of its education, its, you know, its research, uh, its access and diversity, all of these things. So it was so this was where I sort of came in and thought this is this is going to be complicated because you've got to bring about consensus. But we need to we need to design a strategy that or a common roadmap that we can all work towards. And so I saw that as being quite a big challenge. I also saw a college where the estate has probably fallen behind where it needs to be in terms of maintenance and the overall structure of it. But on the other hand, a college that works extremely well in terms of the people in it. So there were these sort of mixed, this very, very mixed bag of, of things in the college. But I, I think the reason one of the reasons I took this job on is because when I met the governing body I realized that that was a group of people I could work with and without that anything's in, uh, you know it can either go well or it can be incredibly difficult if you've got a, a governing body that don't want to come with you. Mm. So so as, you, as you've just mentioned you know it's so important for the college to stay relevant and keep keep evolving so you have the strategic plan and how are you actually driving these changes to ensure that you know, we can achieve this this plan. So with the strategic plan, we came out with a, I mean, always with a strategy. Whenever I've done one, I always have that slightly terrifying back page, which says, what does good look like in 10 years time? And under there, a set of, a set of actions or, um, or, or, or aims that we will have achieved in 10 years time. And then we've turned those into, I mean, very basic project management. So we've turned them into a series of actions and all of them have got a timeline upon them and then those have been those those actions have been given to specific committees to every year or every every term actually we look at those actions and think what are we doing towards trying to achieve this aim and then we have a we have a census we have a uh, at the end of uh, it's actually it's in the fourth week of Michaelmas term where we take the 40 actions we have and we look at how we're getting on every action has a metric associated with it and I think actually some people are a little bit nervous about that because it's quite corporate, that approach. And I think yeah. some of the governing body were slightly alarmed when they saw it. And the, the last time we looked at it, which was um, in December, actually, I think one of my sort of one of the people who was most concerned about this said, I can see how this works. And for me, that was a really good um, step forward because it is it's not trying to force the college into a particular style of, of management but it is saying we have to jointly always keep an eye on where we're going 
and how are we doing and if something's going down or something's going up then we can then bring in actions to change what's going on and and how would you say this covid pandemic has um, affected the plan has it given you more thinking time or has actually thrown you off course because of obviously fundraising will be harder hmm. It hasn't really. The one thing, it's been incredibly helpful having a strategic direction during the middle and going through all of this COVID pandemic because the objectives of the college haven't changed, which is basically to excel and to focus and excel our energies in teaching, research, the historic fabric of the building and the welfare of the students in it. Um, And as long as we remain really focused on that, which we have throughout the pandemic, then we will steer the ship through it. And with the strategy, I mean, some things in there, for example, we, you know, we've been improving the the estate, particularly the best building or the Bessie building, as people call it. And of course, actually, the pandemic in some ways, rather ironically, has helped in the sense that we don't, we haven't had the students here for all three terms. And therefore, we've been able to get the electrics done quicker um etc etc so i think we've pushed ahead on everything fundraising wise the only thing we've done is we have we've costed up all of the major things we want to do including a a a new build to ensure that all our second years can live in in the next couple of years we've pushed the campaign launch to later on in this year because we just felt it was completely inappropriate to launch it in the middle of a time when people an awful lot of people were struggling in all sorts of ways Absolutely. And I suppose the the students aren't there at the moment. Well, you do have actually more students in lockdown three, don't you, compared with the previous lockdown? Yeah, so this lockdown one, we had no students, everybody went, we had literally about 10 left. Lockdown two, everyone stayed here, if you remember, because um, students and schools stayed open. And lockdown three, there's been a, it's, it's an interesting one, because the government basically said everybody should stay at home but those who are already in college a lot didn't go home because they couldn't because overseas students stayed over Christmas um, should stay put and if you don't have good working facilities at home for example good internet or you're struggling for mental health issues you can come back so about 40% of our undergraduate population is back and that's true right way across the university and then all research students could come back so we have got quite a few people in residence but we can't do anything so there's no bar and there's no clubs and there's no gym and it makes it incredibly hard incredibly hard for the students I think they're very very tolerant and have put up with an awful lot over the last year. So how, how are they managing are they are they living and working in bubbles or? So everybody everyone who lives in college um, lives in a, a effectively a household bubble or a household group normally between six and eight students and that bubble um, is like a household group so therefore they can socialise together they all dine together we've gone back to having a sort of old-fashioned form of dining we have one formal sitting and evening and everybody sits down in their household group and eats together and food is served to the table so that's carried on this term we also have uh, breakfast and I mean the other thing I think is absolutely essential is that if your students are around they need to have space other than their bedroom to work and that's been forgotten by many colleges and it's it's the wrong way of thinking about it so we kept our library open 24 7 and that's very very popular our computer room is open we also have breakout rooms for people to go and work in right the way across the college and so therefore people you know students if they if they're back and trying to work or um, then they've, they've got the space to do it. I think it's amazing that you've managed to put this all into place, especially, you know, with 40% of the students back. Mm. Mm. It's, it's also remarkable to me that as well as your duties as principal of Teddy Hall, you're also 
a professor of biodiversity and head the long-term Oxford Ecology Group. How do you split your time between your research and your principalship? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably a very challenging question. <laughs> it is. I have I have about four hats. I'm struggling those hats can sometimes be very complicated. Well, my primary job is running the college and I'm very clear and I must be very clear about that. But I've always done a lot of work and my lab group's currently got 14 people in it so it's quite a big group and I'm on a 20% position with the department but with always these things I mean it's you do way over 20% for some of these things so it's it's a juggling act I tend to work very early in the morning on my research uh, first things in the morning and often I will do uh, weekends working on academic work and yes it's a, it's just an endless juggling act actually I don't, I don't think there's any, any other way of describing it but I think again very much like running and working in the college the group is you know we always have a group meeting on a Friday and I have in the same way I do in college I do one-to-ones with all the people in my group all my DPL students and postdocs every every other week so I know what everyone's up to and it's it's very um it's exhilarating Uh, having a research career as well as running college is I mean I I couldn't I couldn't do one without the other so do you find the roles actually complement each other or do you actually keep them very separate they complement each other I think I think there's so much going on in college that requires a sort of environmental sustainability hat that I I often find there's overlap between what's going on in my research work and the work I do sometimes with the government and then the work that's going on in college as well so the other thing I do is I lead um, I chair a working group across all the colleges which is looking at how can colleges become much more environmentally sustainable but also align with the university and also the city council's net zero target um, which is in you know the next 30 years. So the university's environmental sustainability um, strategy, which is about to be launched, I've been sitting on that panel as well. And they've got some ambitious targets for the university buildings for being net zero and also net biodiversity gain, um, which I've been helping them design. And so it's it's also ensuring that the colleges are not doing stuff in isolation, that we're joining together to ensure that the university, the colleges and the city all moving in one direction rather than about a thousand different directions, which often happens in Oxford. Absolutely. So, Cathy, as you, as you know, we have a, a very diverse and I like to think fascinating alumni association of 10,000 or so alumni. How do you think the alumni can best support you and the college? And, you know, you know, some of the initiatives we're doing. Are there any that you believe are really helping? You know, thinking about all Larry and Connect, the digital careers, even these podcasts. Yes, I mean, I think I think it's it is fantastic to have such a vibrant, diverse set of people who still have an interest and an impassion in terms of what's going on in the hall. And yes, I mean, your support is is invaluable. And it's not, I mean, of course, it's fantastic. The fundraising initiatives are, are superb. And many of the things that have happened over the last, well, last 15, 20, 30 years could not have happened without the support of the of the alumni. But there are other things. There's support in terms of advice, support, you know, advice in terms of buildings or whatever we're doing on a number of the alumni serve on committees. But also I think it is things like mentorship and mentoring. Um, it's very interesting how many students were very, very keen and signed up quickly to, um, to finding a mentor 
for their career development and this sort of working together in in designing a career program what better could you have than that mixture of of all the experiences in all of the the community around us plus also the careers advice that's given to us and provided for the students via the careers advisory service and the Orlerian connect is i think is a huge step forward because it really does mean that you know, quite often when I do principles collections, I feel a bit like the go-between. So a student will say, I'm interested in, in a career or doing this in film. Do you know anyone who could help me? And then I need to, you would have to go to Darrow and say, didn't I meet somebody when we went to X? And then Darrow will come back the name, then the name gets back to sent back to student. All of that's now gone because the student can reach out directly mm. to, to this fantastic network. Well, I'm, I'm delighted we've managed to launch that this year and I hope that we can really gain momentum and get many more people a signed up and b actually using it as as a useful platform and kathy there will be life for you beyond teddy hall i mean i i think us alumni think that <laughs> teddy hall is the be all and end all but but you know as you said you have been the director of science at q you're now the principal and your professor of diversity sitting on many important committees and i believe including the government's natural capital committee yes yes so what next yeah, it's, an, it's a very interesting question. I think the one thing that I'm, which I never thought I would say that I'm missing slightly from in this role is the international dimension. I enjoyed at Q, even though I didn't, I found the traveling a bit much. I did enjoy working at a global scale. I do that with my work, but I think possibly my last position, I think that probably will be my last position, may well be to go back into a sort of an organization that works at that global scale. Now, you could argue that Oxford University is, you know, it is it is a massive global brand and it's top of its class. So therefore, you could argue, well, aren't you already doing that? But I think that I've always very much been driven by this thought that when I am my career, I want to look back and think, actually, you know, you can really see the difference you made in a particular area. And I think right now we are in an environmental crisis. We're in a climate crisis. And I think that starting to work more on that relationship between natural capital, biodiversity and uh, a rapidly emerging carbon market is possibly somewhere where that might be my final final job. Of course, it, it could be completely different. I don't know. I'm not very good at looking forwards. I tend to actually just sort of put my head down and get on with what I'm doing. Well, it, sounds, it sounds as if you've got so much going on that you, know, <laughs> you probably don't have much time to be thinking beyond. No. <laughs> No. Now, I do know you're very busy, so I'm going to um, just ask you two more questions before you go. The first one is, if you had to leave us all with your three favourite places in, firstly, Teddy Hall, secondly, Oxford, and thirdly, the world, where would they be? In Teddy Hall, it would probably be the chapel. I think the chapel is is beautiful and a very calming space. It doesn't matter what your religion, it's just one of those places that I think has an atmosphere, um, which in the middle of this front quad where everything's busy, everyone's dashing around, you go in there, that's a real sort of, it's a real refuge in there. So the chapel will be in Teddy Hall. Where was the second one? In Oxford itself. Oh, many places to choose in Oxford. Botanic Gardens. I think there's there's something about botanic gardens in Oxford. That's, do they do they compare with Kew? No, completely different in the sense. That, I mean, the, the, whereas Kew has got the scale 
I, what I like about the Botanic Gardens is it doesn't have the scale. It has that intimacy that you can only get from these, these, but it also has the history. I mean, it's much older than Kew. Mm. Um, so the Botanic Gardens would be in Oxford, I think. And then in the world, it's probably a bit challenging, but I was thinking, given you travel to all these places, Madagascar and all the countries you listed earlier. Oh, dear. I think Madagascar is an interesting one, but it wouldn't be where, I'd, I mean, I think Madagascar has as a country so many issues. Um, it's terrifying. You know, poverty is still getting worse in Madagascar. Loss of biodiverse land is is increasing and the two are int- linked. So it wouldn't be somewhere I'd sort of want to go. But I think it's one of the areas of the world where one should go to help try and sort out the issues there. So Madagascar might be actually the place where I probably you know leave me behind and I'd be very happy would be an island in the Galapagos. Um, I did some work, I had a research project in the Galapagos back 2010 for three years. And we went there, we went to all these islands that you don't normally go to if you're going on a tourist boat, because we were looking at um, uh, the vegetation dynamics and et cetera, et cetera. And to sit on an island, and I remember going on this island, I walked up, um, we got off this little bumpy boat, I mean, very frightening bumpy boat, we got off the boat to go and walk around this island. And we, um, we came across a hearth which had all these broken blue and green glass bottles. It looked like someone had been there and been smashing bottles and charcoal there. And I thought, well, that's somebody, you know, somebody's been on that half. This, you know, there's been some tourists there. And we had some archaeologists with us who um, collected the charcoal, but also they said, no, no, no. The people that created this half were some of the first whalers and sort of 1570 it was. And basically, these islands are so untouched, These the, the more rare ones are so untouched, that these hearths just sit there. Nobody yeah. goes near them. It's extraordinary. Sure and you right. realise there are these places in the world which are completely untouched. And yet, even though you think about the Galapagos, you think, well, the world and his wife means Galapagos has seen, you know, the blue-footed boobers and everything. But in fact, you can still find these islands that no one else has trodden around or gone to that hearth for, you know, three, four hundred years. Well, you, yeah, with a with a pop- global population now of over seven billion people, you would imagine that most places in the world had definitely been touched. Yes, and I think I think actually when you start to travel, you realise that we touched very, a very small part of it still, and there's an awful lot of wilderness still out there to be protected. Yeah. So, Kathy, we alumni and students often talk about the spirit of Teddy Hall, but as principal, you probably have a, a different lens from us. So what I want to ask you instead is if there was one thing about Teddy Hall that you could guarantee would never change, what would it be? Um, That's an interesting one. It is the spirit. It's the attitude of people who come here. It is an incredibly supportive, friendly environment. And I I think that when when you're in a college which is so small and the footprint is so small, you just have to get on and people have to look after each other. Um, You can't really hide in this college. I've been in very large colleges where you can easily hide. In fact, you could disappear and no one would notice. That will never happen in this college. So we must always focus on that and always retain that sort of vibrancy that's brought about by a small footprint. It is an asset to this college. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And it's wonderful how you come into the college and basically you see everybody you can possibly see when walking around that front yes, quad. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, Kathy, thank you so much for your time. And as I said at the beginning, we're really delighted that you are the person leading the college through this pandemic and you know, leading this strategic vision and plan. Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm, I'm, I'm privileged to be here. 
Thanks, Cathy. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed learning more about our principal and hearing how she and the governing body have navigated the college through this COVID pandemic. I find it extraordinary yet inspiring how one person can juggle and balance so much so well. Our next episode will be Congressman James Hines, a Rhodes Scholar to Teddy Hall who recently attended Biden's inauguration and was in the Capitol building when it got stormed by Trump's supporters. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and happy listening.